Well, hello there. It's Pastor Rick from A Voice in the Distance Ministries coming to you again here on another afternoon. Uh, you know, I thank God for our time together because we are starting a new book. And it's always a joy to, uh, to start something new and to accomplish something. And if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of James, probably one of the more hard-hitting books of the New Testament. And uh, as I like to do, I always like to kind of give an intro to certain things so people have an understanding of where we're coming from, who was the author or the background of things, and just to kind of give us some insight on, on what basically it's about. The book of James, as most of you have probably noticed, is located towards the back of your Bible. Now, the interesting thing is, is that the Bible itself was not written in chronological order, or put in chronological order, I should say. And um, But the chronological order of what the book of James should be, and if it were to be placed in your Bible, it should be kind of placed right at the very front of the New Testament. The New Testament was... Um, the book of James was probably the very or the, the earliest writings of the New Testament, and so what James, who James was writing to, was the converted Christian church in the region of Jerusalem at the time. These were the converted Christians that James was addressing, and and it's interesting because when you look at the book of James again, it is a very hard hitting book, but it's not the most theological book, but it's more based on Christian practicality, if you will. There's a, there's a lot here that's involved in the do's and don'ts of our Christian faith, on what to do and not to do. I mean, as most of the Bible in the New Testament is, uh, throughout the, the Beatitudes and the Gospels and the, the letters of Paul and Peter and John, you know, but, but James was really the, uh, the first one written in this aspect. He was writing to an established church in Jerusalem. And so... There was always reminders that were needed, and the way to communicate was through the letters. And so that's how they that's how they did things. They wrote all of their letters on what was called papyrus, the ancient day paper of the time. And the book of James is not a very large book. But what's interesting about the book of James, there's only five chapters, the book of James has the most commandments in the New Testament. For in, in the... Five-chaptered book, The Most Commandments. I believe there are 54 commandments in general in the book of James. Now, to look at the Old Testament, now a lot of people wouldn't know this or realize this, whether or not they'd care or not, but you look at the book of Joel in the Old Testament, who was what you would call a minor prophet. His book had the most commandments written in it, or demands, if you will, commandments, demands, or whatever you want to call it, written in it from in the Old Testament. And the same thing, a very small book. Probably around the same size as James. So there was much to be said. There was much to be followed, much to be had. And when you look at the book of James, I, I see the book of James as kind of like um, somebody that would have a, uh, a set of pearls in their drawer but never quite hung them up. What do I mean by that? Is that you have the pearls but you've never displayed them. And what James is doing is, is he's calling you out to display the pearls. Not to keep them in the drawer hidden. Because what had happened here is, is that there was a lot of uh, early Christianity that, that was not quite being used as the way it should. They were hiding. <laughs> they were hiding the pearls that they were given. And James is here is calling them out to display the pearls. For they were, we are a pearl of great price to our Lord and Savior who died for our sins. And through that, 
our walk with him is to display that. And really, this is, again, a book on practicality and, and uh, the little, little on theological aspects, but mostly on practicality. Um, you know, it's interesting because there are, there are people out there that have their favorite books. And you look at the old um, reformer, the theologian Martin Luther in Germany, um, who, who started the Reformation in the 1500s. You know, for some reason, he was not a big fan of the book of James, and in his particular outlook, he did not like the book of James and thought in his own outlook that it shouldn't even be in the Bible. But yet, he was a huge, huge, huge fan of the book of Galatians, which is also a really good book. But, I mean, who is any man really to say such a thing? Because, really, what it comes down to is that God God wanted it in there, wanted it in there and it got in there. And so... It really is an amazing book. It's a hard-hitting book. And and so we're going to see some things today to remind us what to do, what not to do. I'm probably only going to cover half because, again, each chapter really covers um, – it covers lots of different things in a chapter. So I want to focus on probably half of the book today as we are enlightened in the aspects of what our lord and savior wanted to see wanted us to see through the author of James it says in chapter 1 verse 1 James a bondservant of God and of the lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, abroad greetings my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if anybody that could attest to this passage, it would be that of the apostles, or any true servant of Christ during this day. The, the author, James, here, was what you would consider a martyr. Now, in the, um, the, in the books of the Jewish historians, such as that of Josephus, who recorded the, the book or recorded the life of James and, and his martyr, James, as an old man, was was martyred by throwing him off of the top of the temple. So I think it was somewhere about a hundred foot drop that they literally took him to the top of the temple, and they threw him off the top of the temple, but he didn't die. He what he did was is he tried to make his way up onto his knees and he started to pray over the people that did this to him and then they stoned him to death and it was the rocks that killed him of all things. Quite an amazing form of survival. But if anything, he knew exactly what it was. See, he didn't say if you fall into uh, trials or uh, uh, you know or any of that or various trials. He didn't say if you fall, fall into it. He says when you fall into it. But he says to consider it joy. Now most people would think like, why would you do that? How in the world can anybody in their right mind consider it joy? Well, God is doing something special, and He does something special through everybody. And, and so some of us may go through some harder things than others. But that molding is is to a way like like if you uh, if you manufacture gold, right? You know, they, through a refined fire, they would put the gold in the most intensive heat. And when the gold was done, they would take the the gold out of the fire, and and the refiner would look into it to see if his reflection was in the gold. Now, when he was when his reflection was in the gold. He knew that it was ready, but he didn't know it was ready until he pulled it out of the fire. He had to leave it in that fire long enough in order for it to burn out its impurities. 
So what we what do we do with this? We turn our hardships into learning periods or learning learning times, if you will. You know, the testing of your faith that produces patience. I have heard some amazing testimonies out there that that put mine to shame. And I, I think to myself, what James is saying here is, is is absolutely true. If you are one that has walked through many fires and have made it, you know what James is talking about. Because what happens is, is that when you are brought through that fire, you have an appreciation for things. You have a you have a thing, an outlook in life that that kind of changes you a little bit. But what he's doing is he's calling us to look upward towards giving thanks. See, as we rely on him through the fire, we also thank him to get us through the fire. And that patience is the biggest key. It produces patience, faith. Those are things that that, that many people lack. Patience and faith. And, you know, it's interesting talking to a dear friend and the older brother I work with and stuff on some of the things that we've both gone through. And, and it's amazing to see, just knowing him for a few months, how parallel our lives were, or are, and to an extent. He's a little bit older than I am. But there is a very, very uh, comparable contrast between the two of us and the things that we've gone through. And when we sit there and we talk about our stories, if you will, there's a sense of relief, if you will, because you realize who got you through, and then you realize why. Why did I have to go through this? Because we can't truly know the depth of our character until we know how we react under pressure. Right? It's always easy to be kind to others when everything is is going well. But the test comes to how do you normally act with others when you go through the fire? And so we thank God for for uh, promising us to be with us through the rough times. Because I've, I've said before, I'll continue to always say, because I can tell you from experience, that God does not promise smooth rides. He promises safe destinations. And so we look at this, may we, may we look at this with a remembrance that, that when we say, why me, God? He says, why not you? <laughs> There's something about you that I need to work on. There's something special that I need to expose. It's time to take them pearls out of the drawer and hang them up here to expose the beauty of how you were formed. He wants to mature, he wants to mature us. Right? He wants to complete us. And I, and I think of, of, of Stoic philosophers. You know, you take the Roman emperor, of, uh, Marcus Aurelius. He was a very, um, very wise, what you would consider a Stoic philosopher. And Stoic, the Stoic philosophers basically showed very little emotion because they, they've trained themselves in that form of philosophy to, to numb themselves to pain because of the things that are going to happen. But see, what a lot of people don't always do is they don't give the credit to where the credit is due. See, the credit is always normally due to the Word of God when it comes to some of these philosophical outlooks. They just don't give the credit. They don't give the credit or the recognition to God or His Word. They have become the standard bearer or the founders of that particular philosophy. 
But what it is is, see, we're called to be stoic in a way, but stoic in a reliance as well. A reliance on God, a reliance on, on getting us through, and a, and, a, and a knowing that he is the one who allowed it to happen for a particular reason. So there is a... There is a call for us to be strong. There is a call for us to to, to be um, reliant on him as well. You know, because he says he does this. Why? Because he wants us to be to be made perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Right. And and so patience is a huge factor in this. Faith is a huge factor in this. And, and so. We look at people that, that have tra trained, okay? You take Olympic athletes that have trained blood, sweat, and tears. They've toiled. They've, they've beaten themselves in the form of the training just to be able to make it into the games with that hope of, of, of obtaining the gold. And not everybody did. Not everybody even gets to make it into the Olympics even though they train and train and train. But with God here on your side... With, with the Lord on your side, it's a different story. It's a different ball game. Because he puts you on that reward stage when it's all said and done. And so, you know, he tests us. He approves us. And, and trials, oh, you know, nobody, nobody likes them. I, I mean, I'll, I'll admit I don't either. But some of the things that have happened to me over the past few years, as I've told people... That, you know, it, it, some of the things were the worst things that could have ever happened to me, but they were the best things that have ever happened to me. Because they molded me into something different, and they molded me into something stronger. But what they did was they grew me closer to the Lord. It, I grew closer to God, and by all means wanted to stay closer to God. One of the biggest dangers that we can put ourselves in is drawing near to God only to get what we want and then draw ourselves away once we've gotten what we've got. <laughs> and that is, a very, that is a very common yet dangerous place to be. And, and with that, see, what James does is he, is he contrasts now. If he, so he goes into, this, um, into the beginning here. Why was he writing this? Because the, the letters, the epistles that were written, were written for a reason. People were going through struggles, okay? If you were a Jew that, was, that converted into Christianity, you were ostracized amongst your people. So there was turmoil. There was issues. The religious leaders, you know, they, they, they didn't like you. Many people didn't like you. So what does this do? It causes you to want to throw in the towel. It causes you to want to, to, to say, I, I didn't sign up for this. Very common. But you see, with patience, with wisdom, with faith, with all of these things that, that, that James is calling us to have, he kind of jumps into something else now with that. Okay, Now he's, he's asking for, for us to, to observe the realm of wisdom with that. Now let's look at verses 5 through 8. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now we 
if you lack wisdom, which, well, a lot of society does, if we lack wisdom, we're called to call it, we're called to ask for it. Again, when I mentioned Marcus Aurelius, who was the, the philosopher, see, philosophy is, is the, uh, it's the two Greek words put together, together, phileo sophia, which means the love of wisdom. But whose wisdom and whose wisdom are you loving? That's the question. And so that's why we have so many different forms of, of philosophies out there. And, and, and of course, they're all right in their own mind. But a lot of philosophy, what a lot of people don't realize is, again, derived from the Bible in itself. If any of you lacks wisdom, right, he's not talking only about knowledge. He, he's talking about the ability to make wise decisions and, and, and wise decisions in, in uh, dif difficult circumstances, perhaps. Right? Well, see, whenever we need wisdom, we can, we can pray to God. And, and he will generously supply, he says what we need you know we don't have to grope around in the dark and you know hoping to stumble upon the answers we can ask for god's wisdom to guide our choices it means practical discernment you know i i've mentioned to people before that you know wisdom and intelligence are two very different things and if I could give you a picture to paint here or, or an example of, of the difference between wisdom and intelligence is there's a lot of very intelligent people out there, but they don't they, they lack wisdom. James didn't say if you lack intelligence. See, intelligent people want to uh, want to dispute, uh, you know, dispute and disprove the Bible and the word of God and God's existence. But it doesn't necessarily make them intelligent. They're only intelligent in their own particular little realms. Maybe in that of science or philosophy, mathematics, whatever it might be. Yeah, they're smart in their aspects, but the wisdom is a whole other story that they lack. See, intelligence is like a cistern of water that, that could sit, sit in, a, in a cistern of water, but it's stagnant and it goes nowhere. Wisdom is kind of like a flowing stream. Wisdom is like a flowing stream. It, the, it's moving and it always moves somewhere, and the water is purified and able to drink, versus that of the stagnant water. Now, if somebody has intelligence and wisdom, what a gift. What a gift from God, because that really deep down makes you a little more effective in life when you think about it. And, and so to believe and not doubt means not only believing in the existence of God, but also believing in his love and care for us. Let him ask God, it says. Let him ask God to receive that wisdom. Simply asking, God, give me wisdom. And to do it without approach. Right? And so, what a gift to say. We, 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 look at, we look at King Solomon, who was considered the wisest man that ever lived. He was the richest king that ever lived. That's the one thing he asked of God when he became king. God, give me the ability and give me the wisdom to lead your people. That's all I want. I don't care about wealth or riches or, or fame or power. He did not ask for those things. And because of what he asked for, because he asked for wisdom, in order to lead God's people, God gave him that beyond anybody. But he also said, guess what? I'm going to add to it. King Solomon was not just the wisest man that ever lived, but he was also the richest king that ever lived in all of history of all mankind. Whether it be through biblical or secular history after the Bible, no other king in the world had the wealth of King Solomon. And so, but his, his, his wisdom 
was astonishing because if you read the book of Proverbs in what King Solomon has written, you can see the wisdom just shining out of him through that book. And in fact, even the Queen of Sheba actually came out to to hear him speak. She traveled from abroad to hear him speak and to observe the temple that was built that he built which was considered one of the one of the top wonders of the world when it was in its in its existence. King Solomon was sought after. King Solomon was blessed beyond measure in wisdom. But when he allowed certain other things to get in the way, such as uh, pagan women that he took on as wives, they led him away from the Lord. And that wisdom went astray. He allowed his wisdom to go astray. And so at the end of King Solomon's days, he wrote another book called Ecclesiastes, which means the called out ones in in the form of Greek. And Ecclesiastes is a whole new form of wisdom. It was kind of an outlook on the way of life, on what happens to you when you when you do wrong and when you look at wrong. Vanity, all is vanity. See, it wasn't that way in the beginning because he was doing quite well. But when he lost everything, and when he lost everything from his own hand making the mistakes that what he did, it gave him a whole other outlook in life in which we have the book of Ecclesiastes, which is also another powerful book and an eye-opener. So if you lack the wisdom, ask for it. God will give it, he says. Right? And so we must have, we must have that confidence that God will align our desires with his purposes. You know... We could look at, um, uh, for instance, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 21, verse 22, right? For, for more on that concept, you could read Matthew uh, 21, 22, and that will, give you, that will give you something to look at. In fact, you know what? Maybe I'll turn there real quick, real quick just to give you some insight. It was a very simple instruction from our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus in uh, Matthew 21, 22. It says, and whatever things you ask in prayer... Believing you will receive. But it's also got to be in the will of God. It's also got to be in order with God. Because there's a lot of things we ask for and there's a lot of things we pray for that they very well could destroy us sometimes due to selfish ambition. But when you pray for wisdom, when you pray for those things, when you, when you ask of these things... What James said to let him ask in faith. Now you're in business. Because he did not ask. King Solomon did not ask in vain. He did not ask with selfish motives. He asked with a true and contrite heart for the wisdom to guide God's people. And God did that and then some. And he gave him the wealth. It wasn't even the wealth that destroyed Solomon. It was unfortunately the wrong relationship from a pagan wife. And through that, he lost it all. We don't want to be doubting. 
We don't want to be doubting what, what God has for us. You know, because James said something here, that, that he's like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And so that is amazing what we are in life. We are like that. We, a lot of people are like weather vanes. We, we blow in whatever direction the wind wants to take us. And we have, we're like a, a ship or like a boat with no sail in the middle of the water. And waves do some damage. Because he says a, they're a double-minded man, unstable in, his, in all his ways. What is a double-minded man? Well, I, I read something once that said it's like a, it's in literal terms, it's like a, a two-souled person. Somebody with like two souls, right? Who has one foot on earth and one foot on he, in heaven, if you will, and wants to stay there. And so that is that is another place that we need to be beware of. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is the God of money, the God of success. There, there's nothing wrong with having money. The problem is, is when money has you, you're in trouble. And we're going to get into that next round in, in, in the second half of the book of James. But we're referring right now to that of wisdom and, and faith. And the things that we need, the things that we should be a part of. You know, he, he makes it known of these things, that, that of the importance and then the, the, the dangers of such. A wave of the sea, right? You know, it doesn't rest. The waves are unstable. Wa waves destroy, right? They're, waves are at times, they're, they're driven by, by weather, by wind, or by storm. What, what are you driven by? What am I driven by? What drives you and I? See, the problem is, is I use the word driving. You know, too often we've been using the Lord as a spare tire when he should be used, when he should be the steering wheel. We, we, we use God when we're, uh, when we need a spare tire to keep going on the road. God should be the steering wheel. And when God's the steering wheel, you won't need a spare tire because he'll never drive you off the cliff. He will never drive you on the pothole to destroy your tire. That's what we do by the decisions that we make. But let him ask in faith. You know, wisdom really is a, a precious thing nowadays. We used to hear that wasn't a wise thing to do. <laughs> There's a lot of wise things we don't do. And we need to be doing more wise things. This world will be much better. And, and it's amazing that if, if we did what the Word of God said, how much better of a world this place would be. We wouldn't be seeing things on the 6 o'clock news that we see. The only thing they would be showing is are, are things of good. Because that's what, the, that's what the Word of God does is it brings out the good. God is good. You know, God is right. And if you studied intently on his word, you will always see that God is good and God is right. Never do you see wrong. Even though people have made, have made uh, weak attempts to try to make it look that way. But God is always right. And they could never refute it. They could never, they could never even come close to trying to prove such a thing. Ask for them. Ask for the wisdom. Have faith and believe. 
Because faith and wisdom are, are, are two things that are lacking very much in our society. And I want to make sure that, first and foremost, part of the A Voice in the Distance ministry is to equip the saints, but also to bring you into a relationship with our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. See, you can't be just reading this for the sake of a good read. You have to allow him into your heart and to walk with him in order to truly understand what and why. And by doing what we do here at A Voice in the Distance Ministries is to give you an opportunity at the very end. An opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want to give you that opportunity right now because by doing that... You're, you're having the faith in believing in him. And then second, by receiving him, it's the wisest thing you will ever do. Because you're, you're, conce- you're, you know, you're concealing yourself in heaven. You are sealed now. And you want to make sure, as he said, that, that you don't ask of things double-mindedly. When we pray this pray- prayer, you want to make sure... That you are receiving him in truth. That you do believe and that you do want to receive. Because he knows when we do and when we don't. He loves you and he came down and died on the cross for you. He wants a place with you up in heaven. You were created in his image. You were created by his design. He knows every hair on your head, every tear you've ever shed. And I want to give you that opportunity to meet him now. So that way, you will truly know and you will truly grow, and one day you will truly go. When I say truly go, be able to truly go to heaven. So if you feel led, I want to give you the opportunity right now to receive him as your Lord and Savior. To receive him as Father. Say this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you that I am a sinner. Father, wash me of all of my sins, Lord. I thank you for dying on the cross, Lord. I thank you for dying for my sins, Lord. I thank you for for receiving me as your child, as I receive you now as my father. For you are my Lord, my Savior, and my Father. I receive you now in my heart, Lord, as I invite you in. And may you receive me when my time comes, Father. But may we walk together all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, the excitement of a new book, right? I always enjoy it, and I hope you do too. But I want to give you, again, just the opportunity to send a shout-out. You know, if you're on the website, you can send an email. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm, I'm praying for you and, and asking God just to, to watch over you and your families, that you might be used mightily and abundantly. Because the most important decision that you could make is the wisest decision you just made in receiving him as Lord and Savior. So I want to thank you again for joining me here at A Voice in the Distance as we venture through the Word of God verse by verse, book by book. And, and pray for me too that the Lord will allow me to accomplish 
teaching every single book of the Bible on A Voice in the Distance Ministries. And may you do the same as God has a plan for you. May God bless you.